Welcome to Swine Healthline, brought to you by Farmgate Animal Health. I'm Sarah Muirhead. There are plenty of diseases that can affect a production system, but what happens when the standard culprits don't show up on a diagnostics test? That's exactly what we're going to discuss here today when it comes to porcine sapovirus. Today's guest is Dr. Tom Pesnick, veterinarian at Arcare. He has been practicing swine veterinary medicine for 25 years and is this year's Alan D. Lehman Swine in Practice Award winner. His expertise in managing purebred sows has made him an in-demand consulting swine veterinarian. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pesnick. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. As we get started, tell us how you realized you were dealing with porcine sapovirus. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, you know, prior to 2019, um, when this when this whole occurrence happened, uh, it I didn't even know the word sapovirus. Um, there's a there's a similar named virus called sapolovirus, um, but but this one was not even on my radar. Um, we had a client that had issues with diarrhea. And it had been ongoing for quite some time. We'd been through all the standard viruses and and looked for coccidiosis. We'd double-checked to make sure we didn't have some kind of low-grade infection with one of the coronaviruses. And we also uh, ended up investigating, you know, all the different rota ABC. We'd actually done some interventions as well uh, to that had worked in other farms. And we'd implemented those with vaccination and then some treatments that we could use for coccidiosis. And we just were running out of, of things to, to, to rule out. And what we were seeing in the farm is that these growing pigs, you know, as they were in farrowing, they do pretty well for about the first five to seven days. And then they would develop this diarrhea, which was creating obviously gut damage um, because they weren't growing like that they should. And, and so that was really probably the biggest thing is we had these messy uh, pens or, or uh, crates uh, with the pigs in them. Uh, we saw that as a high prevalence. And then we just saw uh, we weren't hitting targets on what was otherwise a really, really clean farm. And so as we progressed, it was like, well, what are we going to do about this? The producer was really, you know, upset, you know, that we just hadn't figured this out. Uh, we thought we had good interventions. And so we just took this thing to the next level. All our diagnostics prior to that, Sarah, had been showing us that we were clean uh, for these other diseases. And so the speculation was, well, we didn't get good samples or we didn't uh, collect them at the right time and and those types of things. And finally, it was like, no, I, I handpicked these pigs and I handpicked these cases and we still came up with nothing. And so thank goodness uh, at this point in time, you know, that it had developed that we had the opportunity to do next generation sequencing. Um, you know, the slang term for that being it was shotgun genomics. It's just basically where uh, you, these these PCR primers uh, go out and they and they search for for different uh, genetic material and they and they and they unwind that and they they come up with a sequence for it and then you know really just what's probably the really big part of that is that the the whole computer technology that allows that that to be read and pieced together and say here's everything that that this that we could detect in that sample and so um, that's when I got the call from Iowa State. And, and they basically said, you have this porcine sapovirus. And like I said, I'd never heard it. And I said, you mean sapolo? And they're like, no, this is sapovirus. And so that's where we really got the discovery along. 
So once you determined that's what it was, which sounded like quite a process to get to get that far, but what did you do next? Uh, really next, it was like, you know, it was like a moment of just, thank goodness. It was, it was almost like a brief closure, you know, that, that we all need is that at least now I'm not completely crazy. And, and we really do have a, an answer for what this is. And so dug into the literature on what porcine sapovirus was about. It had been reported many, many years ago, uh, clear back in the 80s. Um, and then, uh, but it really had never been demonstrated. It had been demonstrated in cases of diarrhea, but not as a sole component or without really the kind of the other big ones, uh, the other kind of pathogenic viruses and bacteria and, and protozoa that cause disease. And so it really just hadn't gotten that attention. It was an association, uh, but that was about it. So uh, once we dug into the literature of what they didn't know about it, we found out there's really no treatment option. It's a virus. Um, there was, there was, you know, so you can't use antibiotics. Uh, there, there was no vaccine for it. And, uh, you know, antivirals is still something we've not really jumped into in, in real high fashion, uh, largely because of cost and practicality uh, within pigs. And so we kind of resor really resorted to back to production standards. And so we really looked at the, what are the things that make pigs susceptible to diarrhea? And so we really upped our game on sanitation, uh, even though we had really, really good sanitation. We just said, let's take this to a new level. You know, when we break with coronaviruses like PED and TG, uh, we, we, we adopt what we call PED level sanitation. So we did that. And, and then we also focused on ventilation. If there's two really good ways to, to make pigs uh, to make them uh, create diarrhea in pigs is is just mess up the ventilation from a temperature standpoint one or from a air quality standpoint two and so we just really dialed in to make sure that our ventilation was on track uh, worked on internal biosecurity and so forth and and we just were not reaching the the level we wanted and so our natural reaction when we have enteric viruses like rotaviruses and and coronaviruses is we tend to feed back so we collected up material uh, from the from the diarrheic piglets uh, put that into a, a, a media by which we could feed that back to the sows prior to farrowing with the with the goal of creating uh, colostral antibodies and and milk antibodies and and it just failed miserably uh, we just we just all those interventions and all that uh, just didn't get us where we wanted to be. So why is this virus such a big deal? So it's it's a big deal. Mostly, you know, the good news is, is it's not a mortality virus to the degree of a severe, you know, TGE, PED, uh, Delta coronavirus. And so so. It, it starts a little bit later in the process from what we've seen so far is it's not affecting piglets in that one to five day range when their, their, their intestines are just not suited to replicate fast enough to keep up with the destruction. So, but, but what it does is it still causes damage similar to uh, rotavirus. And in fact, the, the lesions, you know, up until the time by which we had found it were, I mean, you'd read those, those diagnostic reports and you say, I have rotavirus. It's exactly what it, what it, what it looks like. I just can't find rotavirus. And so um, just like rotavirus, uh, you know, we really, the mortality is limited to pigs that just don't meet quality. 
right? They don't they don't make the they don't make the cut as far as a pig that can add value downstream into the nursery and the finisher, and and that is because of the the morbidity that happens. So in this particular case, it was a really high morbidity. We had up to eighty percent of our litters that were affected. I've heard some farms since then uh, that that were similar, and I've seen. I've seen some bouts of it in some of the farms that I frequent as well uh, that were borderline close to that as well. But even it's very normal to have 20% of the litters or 30% of the litters have some degree of this diarrhea. And so it's really a, it's a cost there. And so it's the pounds of weight at weaning. And what we've determined is, is that uh, what we can, what we can count on is if we see that diarrhea and it's due to sapovirus, uh, that's probably on any affected pig that's going to affect them by a pound to a pound and a half, probably closer to a pound and a half by the time they wean. And so we can take ballpark guesstimates. I mean, everybody has their own equation as far as how they want to figure what that costs. But but if you just tell them and say, hey, plug in that number, that, 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 that means a, a pound and a half less on times the number of percentage of, of affected litters, that that's really what that's costing you in overall wean weight. And, and so, you know, the, the old saying, and they've re reestablished that again, they've, they've re put that through the trials again, is that a pound at weaning is equal to uh, three pounds at the end of a traditional nursery cycle, which then gets to nine pounds by the time we reach the end of the finisher. And so time that's wrapped up to gain that extra weight in feed uh, time that's uh, wrapped up, uh, to gain that extra uh, time and space that 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 ends up being inefficient uh, is really, I mean, for each producer to kind of calculate that out. Look at the number and the, or I should say, look at the prevalence of what you what you have it. Make sure that's what you have, but then take that times one and a half pounds, and that's the impact that it's having on you. Very significant indeed. So, and it also sounds like a, a kind of a pretty sneaky virus. Uh, what, what kind of lessons have, have you learned in dealing with this virus over the years? Yeah, so, so it's sneaky uh, in, in the, in, to the extent that um, it can be in there as a co-infective agent. Uh, and, and so by being a co-infection with, the, the, with the, what we might call the regular culprits of rotavirus, coronaviruses, E. coli, uh, clostridium, those types of things, is, is it sneaky in that people don't quite know how to how to take that result on a diagnostic test. And it's becoming more and more routine that the diagnostic labs, if, if it's pigs within that date of five days to weaning and they're developing that diarrhea, uh, that they're running sapovirus more commonly. And then people are like, what the heck is sapovirus and what do we do about it and so forth. And the good news is we have good solution to that now is we, we, uh, we go through a robust vaccination protocol um, that really, really helps. Um, we work to develop RNA particle vaccine that works really well for it because we couldn't develop a true autogenous vaccine. Obviously, a commercial vaccine for that uh, will also rely on virus isolation. So, so if you can't isolate the virus, you can't kill it and you can't put it into a bottle. So that that makes it a difficult, I don't know if Sneaky's quite right there, but it's definitely a difficult and, and challenging thing is that we have to take sequences and, and make this RNA particle vaccine. So um, the other part of it is, is that um, we, we have to make sure that 
you don't just take care of the sapovirus. If you have other things that are going on alongside that, you'll go and you'll vaccinate for sapovirus. And if you didn't handle the rotavirus and you didn't handle the coccidia or other things that might be at play there, you're you're greatly disappointed. And so really, we, we just added a, another layer of, of need within the, the whole enteric uh, level of, of protection. Uh, management is super important. Again, uh, the vaccination and being diligent with that in the timing and making sure we get it done. And and really the big one that I think that, that we're starting to see is that sanitation, uh, not just of, of farrowing rooms. You know, we used to just kind of focus on farrowing rooms. Man, we got to do a good job there. And we haven't focused enough on the gestation barns and realizing that those sows coming from dirty gestation barns are walking that right into the into the farrowing house. Um, and and so all this allows uh, allows this virus to 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 prevail. And and now we're seeing more re- more reports of, hey, I got good protection in the sow farm, but they dragged it to the nursery and the nursery's infected. And so they lose all their maternal protection and boom, we've got sapo virus all over again. So it does become an end up being a pretty sneaky virus. But I think the keys to that um, is be thorough and be persistent in the, in the work that you do when you work these cases up. Make sure you understand everything that's going on. Um, uh, I'll, I'll say is 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 survey do surveillance uh, often and intensely. Uh, you know, I know there's cost wrapped up into that, but again, it doesn't take long to to pay for those diagnostic costs to have clean pigs um, that that don't shed virus downstream and and make it to a nursery in a clean fashion that they can really take off and grow. You know, you have to be open minded. You know, too is is because the sneaky really sneaky part of this one was that this was something that wasn't on anybody's radar. Um, we, we have now since learned that there was some work done in the sapo virus over at Ohio State uh, by Dr. Wong, and, and, but she had, did not have the clinical picture to match up with it. So why all of a sudden now is it coming out? We're not sure. Uh, we're trying to figure out uh, with that and other emerging diseases what's going on. But I think the other big lesson here is don't do it on your own. Um, you know, this, this was the classic case of collaboration. You know, it took, it took, you know, me as a herd veterinarian responding to a client saying, man, fix this problem. Uh, I relied on my resources in industry. I relied on my, uh, uh, the supplemental kind of industry, uh, area where Schick, uh, put a lot of effort into, to helping us discover, you know, do just what they say that they'll do is, is to help us through these, uh, these events where we're not sure what's going on. And then, uh, can't say enough about the Iowa State diagnostic lab for all the work that they did too. So, um, you know, just a lesson and, and don't get complacent and say it's the same old thing. And sometimes you have to look further. So any final thoughts to leave our listeners with here today? Yeah, I, I would say that again, maybe just to kind of repeat some of that is, is the value of good solid diagnostics. Um, and, and again, they, they, there's, there's a cost to that, but if they're well thought out, you know, the old school thing is, is what am I going to do with this information uh, once I get it? Do I have a plan for that or am I just kind of checking to know? Uh, we don't want to waste money on diagnostics. The other one is, is the, the, the lesson that this one re-brought up in me was, was the, the value of going out and finding and selecting the right pig. You know, there's times when I'm in barns, whether I'm working up respiratory disease, neurologic disease, this diarrhea, and, and these guys know they have this problem, but they're like, well, what's taking you so long to decide which pig to, to sample? 
whether that's as a as a full necropsy or whether that's with swabs or whatever that is. And and to me, I think that's a real critical thing to remember is that the value of picking the right pigs that are the right representation of what you want. You'll have so much more diagnostic success, which will lead to better answers for that. So um, I think the other big lesson, again, I can't say it enough, is is don't feel like you got to do it on your own. You, you need to reach out. We've got a wonderful industry. We've got great people, uh, whether they're veterinarians, whether they're uh, and, and those veterinarians could be in the field that you need to bounce ideas off of. Uh, it might be in academia, might be in industry, might be, you know, who knows where. And so we, we really need to rely on that and make sure our sense of community kicks in. Very good. Thank you so much for all that information. And thank you for sharing your expertise and, and being on Swine Healthline here today, Dr. Pesnick. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to any other any other times that we can get together. Dr. Pesnick's expertise is just one of a four-part series on controlling cost with herd health. That series is being brought to you by FarmGate Animal Health. Call your FarmGate representative or visit farmgate.com to learn more about their broad portfolio of options to support your protocols. Thank you for listening. This has been Swine Healthline.